chew on these wise words. The Lunch Bite on SAFM. Some wise words by Bill Gates. It's fine to celebrate success, but it is more important to heed the lessons of failure. Otherwise, with Shadow Twala, putting the ladies in the limelight. Putting the ladies in the limelight. Well, the lady in the limelight is uh, none other than Reva Foreman. As she walks into my studio, this is absolutely amazing to see Reva, um, who used to be a model, and she'll talk to me about that. Welcome, Reva. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome. <laughs> I feel very welcome, Shadow, and I'm really thrilled to be invited to be on your incredible show. No, listen. And to talk to your listeners. Wow. No, it's, it's, a, it's a great honor for me because you mm. are a celebrated woman. Um, Thank you. You've run a business uh, for over how many years now? Oh, 1980. How many years is that? 37. 36, wow. Uh, but I started as a baby. Please remember that. <laughs> so, no, we're not going to count your years. Yes. We're just counting the business years. Yes, I mentioned, 30. I mentioned that you were a, a model. Yes. How was that? It was amazing. It was in my teenage years. <clears throat> and I was fortunate enough to be South Africa's top model twice in a row. <coughs> Voted by? By the public. Oh, at a Rand Daily Mail show. Oh, wonderful. And uh, it, it was wonderful. Actually, I should never have been a model. I was so shy that my dad decided <laughs> to take me to a woman just to learn deportment, just to learn to talk. And her name, she, she's the late Marsha Leasing. Mm. She said when she met me and my dad, Mr. Foreman, if you've brought your daughter here to be a model, I'm afraid... It's out of the question. Oh. She has not got what it takes. And my dad replied, I wouldn't want any daughter of mine to be a model. <laughs> to everyone's shock and surprise, I was a natural on the ramp. Oh, wonderful. And uh, the rest is history. But I'm very grateful to my South African public for always supporting me. What, was, what did you learn from her? When she, what, you know, eventually uh, did she teach you about preparing you for not being a model, but what you learned from it to even consider getting into business. From the modeling to get into business, mm, perhaps. You know, most models, when they retire, open up a modeling school or... Mm. I never did that. I, I was at university very shortly thereafter. I went to university very at a young age, mm -hmm. and I did my BA in psychology, okay. and I fell in love with the thought of developing people in spite of adversity. Mm -hmm. So in addition to a degree in psychology, I then went to the States and did a course with, not with one of these off-the-wall mad American motivational companies in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And basically, I just, gave up modeling and fell in love with the idea that every human being, and it's, it's common sense today, but when we started it, it wasn't that widely spread, but that God has given every single human being, of course, irrespective of color, creed, sex, education, mm -hmm. religion, all of those things we know today, the ability to achieve their major goal in life. Wow. So, so <coughs> by the way, that doesn't mean everyone is born equal. It's nonsense. Some people are born wealthy. Some people are yeah. born poor. Yeah. Some people are born into circumstances that are indescribably bad. 
But everyone has the ability to achieve an ideal thought that comes into their head. How do we use that in today's world? Um, because we all have so many challenges yes. and, and we have such a huge uh, unemployment rate um, where people ought to be bringing their ideas, bringing their dreams alive and, and having the confidence that it's going to work. What do you tap into? You know, unfortunately, the majority of people, be it in our country or anywhere in the world, has been conditioned to think, I can't, it's impossible. Mm. You know, if only my grandmother had pink socks on, I'd be a millionaire today. And tragically, South Africa, which has, the, to me, the greatest human potential in the world, mm-hmm. we don't only have great minds. We've got great faith in the future. Mm-hmm. We've got Madiba as our greatest heritage. We, we, we've got Ubuntu. And those minds today, particularly the youth, mind you, irrespective of age, seem to have got what I call an entitlement mentality. Mm. I deserve such. Mm. Give me such. The world today is becoming the majority takers and not givers. We weren't trained, I think, enough in our schools to understand that one has to give to receive. Mm. It sounds banal. It isn't. And we weren't trained, most important of all, to have confidence in ourselves. We look at ourselves, even in the new South Africa, Mm -hmm. and we say, I can't because of. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not true. You've got inspirational models in our country. Look at Tony Factor. He didn't even get him a trick. He couldn't read or write. He was dyslexic. He became a a great businessman here. Mm -hmm. Look at people like Lucky Michaels. Look at Marina Maponya. A late, unfortunately she died, a personal friend of mine. Mm -hmm. No one understands and they don't believe me that in 1982 at the height of apartheid, Marina Maponya was businesswoman of the year. They say you're talking nonsense. It's true. Because in the business field at least, and this is what I was training as well in the 80s, you could get off your backside, you could work, you could find a way to express the ability God has given you. She was Businesswoman of the Year in 1982. How did Marina and Richard start? Not with this magnificent shopping center the Maponias have today, but by taking off cuts of material from factories producing material and going door-to-door and selling them. I remember we worked together, Marina and I. In fact, giving my age away, (laughs) I was Businesswoman of the Year in 1983. Mm -hmm. Marina beat me too. (laughs) And in the late 80s, we went together. We went together to Chicago to a women's conference representing South Africa. People don't understand that even in adversity, you can still achieve. So, so Reva, what, do you, what does one tap into? Because you, you, you're saying it and we, we've got proof that it's happened. Mm. And, and apart from the entitlement that we all feel, because it's not just young sure. people, I think a lot of us have just, you know, keeled over and said, oh, somebody's going to do it for me. But what do we tap into? What sort of conversations must we have with ourselves? We must have a conversation with myself in the following. You have a conversation with yourself in the following way. You say, what is it I really want? Am I happy in the work I'm doing now? Because if you're not, you shouldn't be there. What is your innermost dream that you wish to follow? 
it doesn't matter what it is, starting a garage, starting a hairdresser salon, becoming a star, an actress, a singer, whatever it is, don't sell yourself short. Don't say, I can't. Mm -hmm. Think, what can I do to get started? Can I start somewhere, Mm -hmm. even in a club, washing floors until I get my opportunity? Mm -hmm. Don't give up on your inner dream. However, it is not to dream to say, oh, I'd love to be prime minister of this country, or I'd love to be that. No, Mm -hmm. that's playing games. To achieve something, you've got to really want it more than life and death. And you've got to be prepared to go through hell and fire fire for it, through fire and water. Very few people ever achieve success without major failures. Well, let's talk about that because the last time you and I had a conversation, Mm. you mentioned how you literally lost everything. Yes. Lost your building. Yes, nearly lost my business. Nearly lost your business. But God was good, even though I didn't realize it, and I became part of an entitlement society. Why did this happen to me? I've done nothing wrong. I never lost my potential. Mm. And it's very difficult, Shadow, to think of that when you're sitting in adversity. It's very difficult to think I'll ever get out of this. But you have to have what we are told is faith. In other words, you've got to say, with God's help, with the potential I've been given, I will find a way to overcome this adversity, to achieve. It's easier said than done. I sat and felt very sorry for myself for a period of four years, and that's after training not to do this for a (laughs) lifetime. (laughs) And what happened is the more I thought of having lost the building I loved and built. And the business, virtually very small, and losing most of my direct, the more I thought about it, the worse I felt. And then one day, nothing to do with my business, an idea popped in my mind to achieve something to help others, nothing to do with my business. Mm -hmm. And I ran after that, and I got all excited about it. And I, and, and, and I succeeded at helping some others. How and did you do that? What were you doing? Helping oh, others. That, that's a long story. <laughs> <laughs> well, briefly. Okay, very, 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 very briefly. Um, I decided, having worked so closely with my beautiful South Africans in apartheid, t- to believe in themselves, to achieve their dreams and goals in spite of adversity, that when... Um, the 2001 Zionism is Racism conference started in this country. Being Jewish, I thought, wait, Israel is my other biblical home. How can it be that people there are hating each other, are fighting each other? I, I hadn't been for years. So I decided to go have a look on the ground to meet Israelis of all religions and creeds to meet Palestinians and to look for what is good, to affect finding tour on the ground. Mm-hmm. And it was a huge success because the people who chose to come during the second intifada when bombs were falling and there was no buses in the airport, mm-hmm. um, they understood that it's never 100% right and 100% wrong. Mm-hmm. That in the midst 
of right and wrong, there are always the majority of people who want peace, mm. who want to work together, who want good. Mm. And that was so successful. You know, um, God was very good. I was able to work with both the Israeli and the Palestinian, Palestinian. authorities. And not only politics, but to meet people on the ground, to meet people who were working together to achieve a peaceful solution. Mm. So nothing to do with my business, nothing to do with my beautiful South Africa. And funnily enough, with that changed mindset that I felt maybe a little bit confident again, ideas started to come to me Mm. how I can get back my business. And four years later, by a miracle, I actually was able, without any finances, to buy my building back fully lit. Oh, my goodness. It it was a miracle. It, It was sold for the price I built it for, uh, it was sold in a private sale. I heard about it. Um, in the meantime, I'd become a tenant in my building when it was sold and couldn't afford to pay the rent but sat there very stubbornly. And one day I heard it was for sale again, phoned my own bank, and um, virtually they realized the building was being sold far below its value. Mm-hmm. Fully lit. I was the only tenant who couldn't pay my rent. <laughs> And God gave me my building back. And then I got all the confidence back. And I said, how do I start to get 2,000 people back to sell my product? The public out there want my product. We've never stopped selling for one day. But it went like from 10 million to a million. (laughs) million. And uh, I started e-commerce. And that's where we are now. Reva, hold that thought. We're taking a little break. We're coming back to find out more about staying the course, especially in business, from Reva Foreman. After this. Insuring one of the top 100 companies listed on the JSE is quite a nice feather to have in one's cap. You can be prouder still if you insure five, and those who insure 10 have a lot to celebrate. At Suntum, we insure 86, which proves that we know a thing or two about protecting the successful businesses of others. Speak to your broker about how we can protect your business or visit suntum.co.za. Suntum, insurance good and proper, an authorized financial services provider. The Department of Water and Sanitation invites comments from the public on the review of the sanitation policy. Be part of the solution by submitting your comments before the 14th of March 2016. For more information on the sanitation policy review, call the Department of Water and Sanitation on 0800 200 or email to sanitationpolicy at dws.gov.za. I don't, I don't have anything. Ah, ma'am. Relax, man. <clears throat> when it's gospel time, Sundays, 8 p.m. Groove with Afro Cafe, Wednesdays, 10 p.m. Let the music play on North Fridays, 8 p.m. Talent shines on Showbill, Saturdays, 7.30 p.m. Hi-yo. Experience the change with our new lineup of Afrikaans shows and new time slots enjoyed by everyone at home starting this February only on SABC2. 104.4 
the home of SAFM in Durban. Durban. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. My guest is Reva Foreman and we're talking about her successes, her failures, but also how she could inspire us um, as far as business is concerned. Now, you said then you went on, on, online. Yes, on the internet. And e-commerce. I must tell you, I knew nothing about e-commerce. I had a very bad old my computer looking at me, and I decided I've got to reach my uh, consumers. And we went online, and I, I'm so excited about selling online, selling in the 21st century mode. I knew, and perhaps this may, and, and my main goal in being here today at your wonderful invitation, Shada, is to inspire others Mm. who may be going through difficult times. Please don't give up. God has given you the ability to get the right thoughts to to succeed. And we went online, and I really didn't know what I was doing. And I knew one thing, that when you've been very, very successful, as I was, both in motivational training and direct selling with a couple of thousand people selling, it's very difficult to repeat that success. Mm. You don't get excited about it. You thought, oh, God, it took me 20 years. I have. What am I going to do? And yet you've got to learn not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I'm very grateful that I had the idea to do something new, yet retain the wonderful Reva brand Mm. and the wonderful Reva products. And therefore, by choosing e-commerce, I didn't realize it at the time. It was the only thing I could do. I chose a new method of marketing, which got me excited. Mm, mm. And I don't think I'd have been as excited if I tried to recruit another 2,000 people (laughs) and train them. But I knew that with God's help, there were many, many wonderful Reva clients, customers out there of every ethnic hue and race and religion that had been with me since 1980. And so e-commerce has excited me so much that uh, I I just love it. It opened up new markets as well. It opened up new markets. Most importantly of all, it attracted the people who knew what they wanted and who found me. And it, it was so wonderful when I picked up that first phone and they said, Reva, is it you? And I said, yes. They said, I can't believe I'm talking to you. You're still here. Your products are still here. That encouraged me to go on. The voice of my South Africans, my consumers, who were so thrilled to have found me and the product again, that gave me the courage to go on. Just those initial calls. We all need some feedback in adversity. Mm. We all need feedback when we've taken that first step. And it's very important to to give people, you know, a positive feedback mm. when they say, can I, instead of saying, oh, it's impossible. Mm. How did you manage to, to keep the product relevant to all South Africans? Because when times are changing, it was 1980 when we came up with Correct. the product. How does it stay relevant throughout? Okay. Well, first of all, the product followed my empowerment motivational training. Mm-hmm. And training that people are all equal in potential, we were one of the first companies, certainly in South Africa, I don't say the first, to bring out a brand for all different 
ethnic skin and mm-hmm. types. Mm-hmm. Today, it's common cause. When you see a great brand, you see either a, a, a black, a beautiful young black woman, a beautiful young white woman, or a beautiful in-between woman, <laughs> and everyone's brand expands. Yes, the brands like Black Like Me and others also did very well, mm-hmm. but there's a market in a brand where it goes over a certain price level mm-hmm. that you refer to beautiful women everywhere. And because of my background in motivational training, that's how we started a direct sales company. Mm-hmm. So we were there, we were relevant. Because the brand has never stopped selling, we have kept upgrading everything so that it's, 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 it's relevant for today. And... Uh, I think I'm just fortunate that the right ideas came to me at the right time, and they always will if you have faith that you can do it. Now, how do you stay looking as beautiful? Oh. Thank <laughs> you so much. No, seriously, when, when I saw you now, I thought, oh, my God, she's still oh. so beautiful. Thank you so much. I think the most important ingredient of staying as beautiful as you are is your thinking, your thoughts. Mm. To think I can, not to judge yourself and say, because I'm over 50, I'll admit to that, (laughs) maybe not more, but still, I've had it, or I can't. You know, I'll never forget, once I went to meet uh, the CEO of TrueWords, he might not remember this, Mark, and I think he's resigned now, or he's retired, and I said to him, you know, I've got a cheek, I buy from your teenage young range mm-hmm. in, in Trueworths, your Innswear, and he said, Reva, you're quite wrong. He said, in today's world, 21st century, you don't categorize a range as per age, but mm-hmm. rather as per the mentality, the figure, mm-hmm. the lifestyle. That's what's important, how you think about yourself. And I think that is the most important ingredient of staying young. Then, after the way you think, then maybe good skincare, good makeup, <laughs> and staying involved as you are, Shana. Mm. Retirement to me yeah. is a very ugly no, word. No. If I had a hundred million in the bank and I don't yet, <laughs> yet, I would okay. be here, grateful I'm talking to you and inspiring others mm. because life is great. We're living in one of the greatest countries in the world in terms of human potential, in terms of Ubuntu. Um, I was at a talk last night by President Shimon Peres, and he said something that inspired me. He said that in every South African, irrespective of race, color, creed, there's a little Nelson Mandela in all of us. And there is. I love my South Africans. And I believe that you can show your potential and you can say thank you to God for that potential when you fight against adversity in a positive way. Well, that's Reva Foreman. Thank you so much for joining me and thank you for being such an inspiration. Thank and you. Uh, we'll give your, your website out because your, your, your products are still on, on um on the shelves, but also online. Eh? Only online. So it's Reva.com. www.reva.com. Free delivery in South Africa. Thank you for allowing me this exposure and love to everyone. Thank you so Bye. much. Thank you for joining us. It is now time for news headlines with Sir Uthi Lesako.
Thanks, Shadow. Good afternoon. The application by Winnie Madikizela Mandela to claim the rights to the former president Nelson Mandela's Kunu home is underway in the Mtata High Court in the Eastern Cape. Vets University students have been left disappointed after Higher Education Minister Bladen Zamande refused to engage with them during his visit to the university this morning. And the George father, who drugged and raped seven of his daughter's friends, has apologized to his victims' families at the Tembaletu Regional Court. Details at 2 o'clock. Okay, thank you very much to Utsilia. Now, coming up, I'm speaking with Steph Vermillion. We, we're talking about bullying in the workplace, why women are still the biggest victims being victimized in the workplace. If you get a copy of Essays of Africa, you can read more about it. And, but I just thought it was so important uh, for us to speak with Steph. Steph, hello. Hi, Shadow. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. And you, and thanks for joining me. Thank you very much for having me. It's a great privilege again. I appreciate it. But, Steph, let's talk about bullying. How do we identify it? Because it's not so easy to identify, eh? No, it's not easy at all. And quite often the bully can be, if it's overt, then it's very obvious. But more often than not, bullying comes under the, uh, under the disguise of somebody being self-righteous or under this is the right thing to do in, 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 in this case, in, in terms of, you know, you just can't take criticism, etc., etc. So it's when it's subtle that it is very difficult to deal with because quite often bullying happens also under the guise of corporate politics. Mm. So somebody who is a good political player in, in, in an organization will rise through the ranks into a position of leadership. Now, and those people often, there's lots of research being done at the moment around the world to show that quite often the people who do rise to the top are of a sociopathic or have a, 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 you know, that kind of personality problem. Now, what that means if they, they have a, a socio, if they're sociopathic is that they have a problem with their conscience. So it becomes all about them, and especially if you combine that with a narcissistic personality. Mm. And the two can often go hand in hand. Now, just before we take it any further, I just want to say that it doesn't mean that anybody who rises to a position of power <laughs> is a sociopath or a narcissist. But because of the way corporate, the, the power structure is, it happens in business, it actually is very fertile ground for people who are either sociopathic or narcissistic or both. So it's under the guise of, you know, I'm your, your, your leader or I'm the boss around here, you will do as I say, but more often than not, it is just straightforward bullying under this guise of, well, you know, I'm the boss, do it my way kind of thing. Are we, are, are bullies wired the same way as all of us in the brain? Is it, is it something that one acquires as you grow up or because you're socialized into it? Or, uh, you know, does it, do we have a bully in all of us? Bullying is simply about getting one's own way, so I think probably everybody has a bully in them somewhere or can be a bully. Mm. But when it becomes consistent, then it becomes a problem. When we talk about the, the sort of wired up the same way, that the brain, there's so much fascinating research on the brain currently, mm. that it literally is just a, 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 a bunch of, of millions or trillions of cells that pick up patterns. And so somebody growing up who's learnt to throw temper tantrums or that it's all about them, they've never grown up beyond the, the childlike phase of this, you know, life is all about me and that entitlement that we talk about. Mm. Uh, and that person's 
patterns then will be that if I scream and shout and yell or if I intimidate or if I criticize or if I, I look superior or act superior to everybody else, then other people will back down and I'll be able to get my own way. So it is purely something that is socialized and not something that is inherently genetic. Very little is inherently genetic is what science is now finding. Mostly we're looking at genes times environment as opposed to genes versus environment. Nature versus nurture mm. is a very outdated concept in science today. So bullies are wired that way because there was enough reward for when they bullied they got their own way. Mm. It probably started on the in the you know the school grounds. And although women are, are can be extremely good bullies, that the way boys are socialized often can lead to that behavior because competitiveness is rewarded or ego is rewarded over uh, over the cooperation that girls learn. Now that doesn't mean that boys, you know, bullies are only boys at all um, because girls can certainly have learned it and be wired up that way. They often just do it differently. So it could be more subtle and not quite so loud. So is, is there, a, and I, I want to know why women are still the biggest victims of bullying in the workplace. <laughs> Women tend to be the, the biggest victims because as girls we grow up learning to be nice. And when I looked up the word nice, when I was writing my women's book, I looked up the word nice in a dictionary that gave the origin of words. And the word nice comes from French or, or in Middle English or Middle-aged English words that mean being stupid and ignorant. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to be careful when we're, we think we're being nice and we think we're doing the right thing. Actually, it just looks stupid and ignorant. Now, women, because of that we've been rewarded and our brains have literally then been wired up to be nice and to be polite and not to challenge is um, makes women the, uh, very prone to being victims mm. of bullies. So if somebody is, is being a bully, women are more likely to suck it up and not say anything than to challenge it or to stand up to the bully. And when somebody is trying to manipulate you, particularly with the use of the bully, scream, shout, yell, intimidate, etc., it's the worst thing you can do is to remain silent because that ropes you into their game. Or into their, and by game I mean manipulation, mm. not a fun game. Mm. Can a bully be cured? Is it reversible? Sure. All behavior can be changed. That The problem is if somebody is sociopathic, they don't see that they're the problem. So it's everybody else except them. And that, that, uh, in that case, it's very unlikely that they would even go for treatment because if it's not, you know, it's not me, it's all these incompetent people around me, is what the bully would think. Mm. And so it's everybody else they'll send on training courses, they'll send to the, the, you know, employee care in organizations rather than the bully themselves. And they also will behave very differently in front of their superiors as they would in front of, of people that they're bullying. So they can often be super charming and, and in the extreme cases come across as, you know, kind and caring and they can feign empathy where needed. So it's very difficult for somebody who is being bullied to be able to convince that person's superior or, or you know, that person's line manager, for example, as to what is really going on because they'll go, but it's impossible. That person is, is you know, is not like that at mm. all. 
So it's quite important for if you are dealing with somebody who is devious around that and changes their behavior, it's quite important to keep a log or a diary of what is actually happening and events that happen so that you have some evidence because bullies can often be very devious. So, step in, stitched up, who fashions women's lives? Yes, indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Because I think that's where we must go now, because your book, just tell us a bit about who fashions women's lives. Uh, The book was launched in 2004, Mm. and I wrote it because as a woman myself, I had found a lot of gems in my research as to things that were deeply meaningful to me or things that changed the course of my understanding about being a woman. That uh, when growing up, we've all, as females all around the world in different degrees, been programmed to serve and to be self-sacrificial. So the idea is that we sacrifice our lives and, and making, making sure that women, a woman's shame is to be needy. So if I have needs, I need to be loved, I need to be cared about, I need to you know, have, be fed and I need to be made to feel special, all of our actual needs, not our wants. Mm-hmm. But it becomes a woman's shame to actually communicate my needs to others because we're supposed to be self-sufficient in terms of our needs mm-hmm. and so that we then uh, can then care for everybody else. Now, of course, this was all set up. It doesn't mean it's not because, you know, I came into this world as as a female that I would naturally sacrifice my life. So it has all been manipulated since we became, our world became patriarchal, which was about 6000 BC, which is before the Common Era. Mm. Prior to that, societies were much more egalitarian. And that's when this whole notion of women having to sacrifice themselves actually it, it started as that obviously our needs aren't going to get met. We don't even, we're not even supposed to have any. Yes. So it's created very difficult emotional issues for women because even for strong women, some of the, the women I know in their mid-50s now, which is, is where I am too, I heard Reva confessing to that. Yes. <laughs> And the the happiest women I know are those who haven't done that. Now, that's a big sin when you're growing up. You're supposed to, if you've got children, sacrifice your life for them. You're supposed to give to your husband that, you know, he's not supposed to cook for himself. And the children, mums do too much for their children today, which is all part of trying to prove my femininity. Mm. On the other side, that there is, of course, fem, the, the feminist. Yes. And lots of women go, oh, well, I wouldn't call myself feminist. I can't say that I'm feminist is what lots of women will say because it's had it's been so denigrated and so ridiculed mm-hmm. and what all it means is about female equality so I'll say to women you know do you object to men getting paid more than you do oh yes well then you actually are a feminist that's what it's about <laughs> so it's creating conditions where women can thrive and to do that we have to undo our memes and memes are units of social conditioning they're not the truth and they are not you know written in stone by any manner or, or means so memes are m-e-m-e-s which was a, a, a term coined by Richard Dawkins in the 1970s in his book The Selfish Gene. So for women we have to have a look at as to what it is that we want. 
if you want to be a stay-at-home mum and that's what you really want, then you should be, you know, nobody should have any objection to that whatsoever. If you want to be like me and be child-free, because I believe, I believe more in freedom than having my own children, mm. then that also is something that's completely acceptable. But most women that I know today in their 50s who have given up their lives for everybody else are either divorced now, the children have left home, mm. and they're kind of sitting, I wonder, wonder what happened there. Mm-hmm. And that empty life when you get to or, or beyond, in your mid-50s, you're a bit beyond middle-aged. <laughs> when you get to that stage of life, you want to look back and say, actually, I've really had a rich life. Mm-hmm. I've done mm-hmm. the sorts of things that I wanted to do, and you sometimes have to do that regardless of the consequences that you experience. So if you choose that you don't want to be officially married, don't want to have children and do all the traditional things, then you're much more likely to keep making decisions about your own happiness, which I know a lot of our listeners are going to be screaming, well, that sounds so selfish. (laughs) Well, it's really important to, if you want to be happy, to be what uh, Charles Handy called, he's the American philosopher, uh, that wrote the book The Empty Raincoat and The Hungry Spirit. And if you want to actually be happy, you have to be appropriately selfish. And that means to ensure that your needs are being met. When you're appropriately selfish, you have a lot more energy, and then you can contribute, you can discern who you're going to contribute to and when. It's not this indiscriminate, well, I'm a woman, so I have to keep giving to feel good about myself. If we keep giving, we give beyond the point where we're okay, constantly are on reserve, and what I just mentioned earlier was that strong women often are the ones who are most likely to collapse under the weight of all of this because strong women have always got a little bit more in terms of of reserve that they can give until they literally collapse. And I know women, very strong women, who've been hospitalized with burnout, depression, all manner of of diagnoses that are actually just exhaustion-based. So, Steph, I need to know then how we socialize our young children. I think of... Um, uh, a book called The Four Agreements. Uh, yes. You know, um, I suppose we read it next to Stitched Up because we really need to... <laughs> to yeah, we need to unlearn all the things we've been... the way we've been yes. socialized. But yes. I worry mostly about the young girls that we've been I'm very... I'm actually quite excited about younger women. Women in their early 20s or younger than that today are really taking up the, the women's cause. I'm hearing lots of them say, we actually need a feminist war. <laughs> <laughs> wow, okay. Okay. <laughs> and obviously we're not talking about... We, we, we need a war on, on male chauvinism, basically, and on that behavior. So for a long time, everyone's going, well, what's the issue? And now I'm hearing younger women really taking up the cause and, and flying the flag, which I'm delighted about. Mm-hmm. So I think there's with lots more information in our world in general and lots more access to information that the job that is being done by the magazines in terms of the, the pretty princess is one powerful kind of image that we need to look at with a great deal of skepticism. Mm-hmm. Because what I look like is totally irrelevant. It's who I am inside that actually 
is means that I'm going to be able to connect with other people in a very genuine way or not. And that's what makes us feel fulfilled as human beings, is when we can make a contribution and when we feel deeply connected to other people. Now, what my nails and hair and body looks like is irrelevant to mm-hmm. all of that because that's not even what attracts men to us, funnily enough. It's the, the nonsense that we've learned from the, the media that, you know, if you look good, you'll feel good, when in fact it's exactly the opposite way around. So I think that many younger women are looking at this whole the objectification of women mm-hmm. and their mm-hmm. image and who we, are, who we are and what we look like as being quite separate things altogether. And I think that's extremely healthy. So, so it is I, about raising young, young women differently, but a, it's about raising them to be and to accept whoever they want to be. So if they want to be something that would be very traditionally male, let's say like a you know, wrestler or a motor mechanic or something like that, then to go, well, that's fine, go and explore that. And to let them explore as far and wide as possible so they're not limited to the things that traditionally girls are supposed to do. And certainly to encourage their intellect and certainly to encourage their uh, opinions because that's where we are silenced. It's females with opinions, you know, aren't, aren't particularly liked in our society. They, they thought to be shunned. But as you get older, it's those sorts of things that become much more valuable. Well, that's, that's why we get bullied and we, 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 we really can't be victims anymore. So you're no. saying we must kill the princess? <laughs> the, <laughs> the American version, the Stitched Up was published in America. It's actually sold out here. But the American version was called Kill the Princess, and that's still available on Amazon. And we do need to kill the, the princess within us, because if you look at all of the fairy tales, the princess has no opinions. The princess is a victim of other people very often. And something that's really interesting in terms of fairy tales is that it's usually an older woman, there's a wicked witch, a terrible stepmother, and that is to introduce girls to the pain that they're going to go through with the difficulties in the mother-daughter relationship, because mothers can't socialize their daughters to not have needs unless they ignore their daughter's needs. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that mothers wake up in the morning and think, how can I harm my daughters? And today, it's very, it's a, for mothers, it, it makes them terribly ambivalent about socializing their daughters to be socially acceptable as in self-sacrificial and socializing them to be themselves. You can't do both. So you can't sacrifice everything to do with yourself and be yourself at the same time. So I think we need to have a look at every time we reward girls' behavior for being the princess, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. When we say to them, oh, you're so pretty, and all that about pretty little girl, what are we saying to them? That those are the things that matter. Mm-hmm. And instead, I often encourage mothers to say to their girls, instead of anything to do with what they look like, almost ban that kind of conversation. Mm-hmm is to say, I really like it when you do this, or Mm. I like it when you make me laugh, or I like it when you say all the things I like about you, I like it when we have these conversations, Mm. or, you know, that's such a smart thing that you noticed, or so you're so observant, and to give them feedback 
in about very different things other than the traditional image, princessy, hair, nails, etc. Because that's just a manipulation by the cosmetic marketing companies. Is If you think about it, there's a product for every single part <laughs> of the female form from the split ends on our head right the way to the, the you know, our, our ugly little, little, the toenail on our, our, our ugly little toe <laughs> and everything else in between. Now, we've got to then, we're supposed to believe that there's something wrong with every part of us that needs to be fixed, which is absurd. Steph, uh, I could talk to you for hours. <laughs> <laughs> and but, for you, Shadow. <laughs> but stitched up, you say we, we don't have copies anymore. It is sold out. I've got copies. When are you reprinting? I'm, I'm actually rewriting, so I'm going to write it into three books because I wrote it as one book because I, I thought women don't have time to read a lot. So and oh, then uh, I got I got criticised because it's too dense the information. Course. It's an easy read, I believe. Well, that's how I wrote it, in easy and simple English. But the information is very dense. I've had very educated women tell me they chewed their way through it. <laughs> okay, so give us your website. So if people do want copies of Stitch, they can get from me directly. My website is www.eqsa.co.com. And if people want my newest book, is because I'm, I'm sort of more known for my work in emotional intelligence, is to do with memes and programming and how the brain is wired and all of that. My new book, which is available generally, is called Personal Intelligence, Future Fit Now, which is EQ plus IQ. Fantastic. Lots of love. Thank you very much for your time. And Always you, great Tada, to talk to thank you. Thank you. I so appreciate it. Okay. Take care. And you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It is now time for our children's program.